Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly talk show talking about land and farms, buying and selling, ownership, especially for land, real estate agents, and realtors. Learn from the experts, guys. Hey, free land education. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with United Country Real Estate, Sutton Properties, along with my co-host this morning, Teresa Barton. Hey, Teresa. Hey, Lou. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. All right. We've got an exciting guest today. In a rare occasion, we're in studio, so instead of talking long distance around the world. So uh, thanks for being here. Uh, buying or selling homes, land or farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or southern Virginia, just give us a shout, guys. We'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street next to BB&T Bank in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website is www.allsuttonproperties.com. That's A-L-L. S-U-T-T-O-N-P-R-O-P-E-R-T-I-E-S dot com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and their members. And our national website is www.rliland.com. Hey, if you're buying or selling, go to the experts. There's about 1,600 members nationwide. And on that website, you can put in the state or city, and it will pull up the uh, closest uh, member of our organization or an accredited land consultant, which are about 500 in the United States that have the advanced education and training. Help you out. Save you money or make you money. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Buying or selling, LandHub is the place to be. Our guest today is Corey George. Welcome, Corey. Hey, Lou. Thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. And you're a local. Actually, you're going to be my neighbor. That's right. Wow. This is great. But um, uh, just a little on your background, Corey. Uh, Corey's a graduate from NC State University with a bachelor's degree in biological engineering. like to learn about that. And then further at NC A&T University in Greensboro, North Carolina, where he received a bachelor's degree in geometrics. That's another subject. We can have you on a couple times, Corey. All right. Uh, he's also a licensed professional engineer and a licensed professional surveyor. That's what our topic is going to be. And you're also a contractor, North That's Carolina right. contractor. That's right. So how many hours did you spend in school? Too many. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> quite a few, huh? But congratulations. Uh, uh, actually, I, I knew you when you were very young because you grew up with my daughter. So uh, we've known each other a long time. I didn't know where you went, so I was glad to meet you at the breakfast the other morning, and we, we kind of uh, got back together, and, and here you are. So, uh, again, welcome. Um You've completed the North Carolina, uh, North Carolina Society of Surveyors Platt competition. You've won first place and several awards. Uh, you're also licensed in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, and D.C. of all places. How the heck did you get to why, why D.C.? So those are the land surveying licenses that I hold. Right. Um, and the, co the company that I used to work for, we were uh, looking at doing some mitigation work uh, just outside the capital there. And uh, it, it made sense for us to handle all of the design and permitting in-house. It's so, a big project, evidently. Uh, that's right. And so very confidential. Sure. And so, so I flew to D.C. one morning, right. went and took the land surveying exam, and flew home. Wow. How long ago was that? That was uh, 2005, 2000, uh, 2015, 2016. Sorry, yeah. somewhere in there. And you have a beautiful family. Uh, three awesome kids. Tell us about your kids. I have a uh, soon-to-be six-year-old little boy, okay. soon-to-be four-year-old little girl, and a soon-to-be one-year-old little boy. There you go. Well, you're right there with Kate and Robbie because I've right. got soon-to-be a six-year-old grandson and one that just turned three. So uh, there, uh, there we go again, right? Surveying and land surveying. That's our topic today. And uh, we've, we've had a couple shows on surveying. But I uh, want to get more in-depth and uh, kind of going to turn it over to you. Uh, it's your show, and uh, tell us about uh, surveying. Well, land surveying is a very interesting profession. Uh, I'm sure most people are aware that you don't, uh, you know when you need one, and sometimes you didn't, you need one and didn't know you need one. Um, as far as the definition of what land surveying is, I typically lean on what the North Carolina Board of Engineering and Land Surveying has specifically defined it as, and uh, I'll, I won't read the whole thing because it's, it's rather lengthy, it's but okay. uh, 
you know, land surveying is the professional service, such as consultation, investigation, testimony, evaluation, mapping, um, and interpreting scientific measurements and information relative to the location, size, shape, or physical features of the Earth. And that can include the space above the Earth, space on the Earth, and it can be accomplished by conventional ground measurements where you have someone out there standing looking through the machine, which I'm sure people are traditionally used to seeing. See the old tripods out there, That's right? exactly right. Still do a lot of and that the type of stuff. Best. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it can be done by aerial methods, um, either via GPS. Um, you know, recently, I'm sure everybody's aware of the drone technology right. that's coming out. And so okay. a lot of that stuff, a lot of the stuff you can do with that kind of falls under the definition of land surveying as, as it's defined by the North Carolina Board. Okay. And that's probably pretty standard nationwide. It, it's pretty standard. North Surveying as a profession is, is fairly standardized across the country as far as the National Board is concerned. Each state does have their own land regulations which does not allow surveyors to have you know, immediate um, reciprocity with other jurisdictions such as you know engineering right when okay. we get licensed in one state sure. pretty much license you can pretty much get licensed with these and in most of the other states um, there's a handful of exceptions and a handful of jurisdiction exceptions like structural engineering in california for example is very hard to get right. um, but you know, land surveying, and, and, and especially as it relates to how each state does their land surveying. You know, obviously in North Carolina, we're uh, a traditional 13-colony state. Okay. And so land surveying in the 13 colonies is done differently than it would be in a public land state, such as Florida or Kansas or Nebraska or somewhere else. Like so that. it have to do with meets and bounds, which is east of the Mississippi versus locks and blocks, which is west of the Mississippi? Yeah, so it does. Um, meets and bounds is the 13 colonies plus Texas. Okay. Uh, the Republic of Texas. Right. Um, Florida is the exception in the East Coast that is a public land and, and gridded off. Um, Washington, D.C. is also public land, but it also is done a little bit differently than the traditional public lands for in the what United way? States. They are in blocks. They have spine of the square. There's, uh, I have an entire manual on just surveying in the District of Columbia, um, whereas traditional public land surveying states, with the exception of Ohio, uh, most everything is based in squares or what was attempted to be squares, although they didn't end up being squares in the beginning. Um, once they started out from their, their baselines, I think it took them a little while to realize they had forgot to adjust for some of the corrections and some some of the you know since the earth is round sure and, and you have a square on the face of the earth on the south side the line should be a little bit longer right and a little bit shorter on the north side and so they didn't make the correct cor corrections right. until uh, a little bit later so gotcha. some of their squares are not square. not not so square a little polygram huh that's right <laughs> So I didn't fail to mention your company, which is Pilot Surveying Engineer. I apologize for that. And if you're out there listening to our show this morning or on podcast later, uh, get a chance. Go, go to his website, which is www.pilotse, pilotse.com. Pretty simple. Pilotse. Okay. What's the SE for? Surveying and engineering. There you go. All right. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt, but I want to get that in there. And I'll mention a couple other times. So, you know, it's... it's uh, uh, as a land developer myself, I've developed over 60 rural subdivisions over the years. And in each area, jurisdiction, you've got different uh, rules and regulations. And for the audience out there and for the professionals out there, realtors, um, always go to the county subdivision ordinances. Every jurisdiction should have one. Uh, and it's usually on the websites now. And that's the rules of the game. So when I teach my land classes, and by the way, I've got one coming up June the 4th. Uh, it's a virtual class, my first one, Give, wish me luck, from 1 to 5 p.m. So you can go to the website, www.letstalkland, and I've got all the information there. So, And you don't have to be a realtor to take the class. But uh, for, it's, it's four-hour C credit for North Carolina agents. But I always say, you know, it's um, uh, surveying is, is, uh, is uh, a unique science. Uh, and it's probably one of the most complicated portions of a real estate transaction for the novice to understand. Uh, why is this and why is that? And I hope you get into some of those issues with us this morning. Uh, but uh, uh, continue on. Okay. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, you know, uh, 
people ask me, how'd you get into surveying? And uh, which I'd say most surveyors probably say they end up falling into it. Um, but you know, you, you start to do uh, a little homework and as you learn and stuff, you start to realize that historically there's been a lot of famous people that surveyed. Like and so George, the Mr. George Washington. Mr. Washington was one. Um, Hamilton actually, was one. three of the four guys on Mount Rushmore had some surveying in their in their history prior to becoming president. Um, you know, some of the more famous ones and, and some people that are probably don't understand who actually surveyors were, but the Mason-Dixon line was actually Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon, both both land surveyors, and that line was done done by named after the two surveyors, okay. which ended up being coincidentally a very important drawing sure. line Absolutely. later on uh, since it was surveyed in the, in the late mid to late 1760s. You know, it's funny. Um, you see a lot of things out surveying, and uh, you, you you know, there's all types of different surveys that we'll cover in, in a few minutes, I'm sure. Uh, you get into, you start to see some things where sometimes the boundaries are not always as clear as you hope they would be. Does and, that have uh, anything to do with topography? Yes, and. I think it's a combination of topography and recent technology. Okay. Um, so up until, you know, the mid-1900s or so, when we first started seeing EDMs, electronic distance measurements, we, we you know, we started having some very sensitive technology able to read laser beams and speed of light and give us some really fine measurements and, and very good horizontal measurements. You know, the crews were still out pulling chains. Sure. Physical or chains. Or poles in the old days, poles and chains. Pol super old days pol poles. Oh, right. Um, and we graduated to what was called the Gunter's chain, which was a 66-foot long chain with 100 links, which is actually where we get our acre measurement. Okay. Uh, most people don't no, know that. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, so the acre is, is an odd measurement in the grand scheme of things, sure. 43,560 square feet. Nobody can figure out why we got, you, you know, most people don't well, understand. Well, it's because it's Richard Petty's car number, 46. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and, and uh, 43, I'm sorry. And then uh, one mile over the posted speed limit of 55. That's right. And the, the zero, that's how I learned it in class. That's right. So, so one acre. Um, is actually 10 square chains, 10 oh. square, 66-foot-long chains. A 66-foot-long chain is four poles, right. you know, uh, which there's lots of different measurements. And So it's, a, it's roughly an acre is 200 by 200, but it's not exactly 200. It's, what is this, 200 and? It's 200 and change. And change, <laughs> right? That's right. Six, but I mean, I use the squared term. People ask 10. me what's an acre, and I'll just for easiness, I'll, you know, without getting an explanation, I'll say roughly two hundred by two hundred. That's right. Yeah, that's that's what is commonly referred to as the builder's acre. Okay, no, two hundred by two hundred. That's okay. that's the builder's acre. Well, all, all I ever heard was roughly the size of a football field, and that's not accurate because that's not a square. Well, it's not <laughs> square, but an <laughs> acre doesn't are, have to be square. But you can yeah. visualize the football field. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I tell everybody because that's what I was told. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I was right. So touching a little bit on some of the uh, things that you don't anticipate seeing, a lot of people don't know that North Carolina and South Carolina have been in some version of a boundary dispute since it was divided in 1729. I think Virginia has some of that too in I, places. I think all of the states have a little bit of, uh, confusion over where the state lines ought to be. But it's funny, North Carolina and South Carolina just scheduled, just um, finalized their dispute in 2017. Yeah, I remember reading about that. That's right. And uh, it affected a couple of property owners wow. on the southern border, <laughs> which generally doesn't mean anything except for the gas station in Fort Mill who could sell South Carolina-branded fireworks. And when he sells and goes into North Carolina, he won't be able to sell his fireworks anymore. See, there's advantages and disadvantages, right? Fabulous. Crazy. Hey, our guest today is Corey George with Pilot Surveying and Engineer right here in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. And this is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Are you looking to buy or sell land? LandHub previews thousands of property nationwide. A little short. Corey, so I understand there's different types of surveys. How do I know which type of survey I need? 
Well, the type of survey you're going to need is depending on what you're doing and what your end product is for. So I'd say most landowners are going to be looking for a traditional boundary or mortgage type survey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't really consider there being much difference in somebody calling up and saying they need a mortgage survey versus a boundary survey. When I say boundary survey, I'm surveying the boundaries of the property. Um, and we would do the same research and the same due diligence on, you know, a half acre lot as we would a 200 acre parcel. Um, we still do, still take the same standards of care. Um, I will say that there are different types of surveys. There's lots of different types of surveys and they're all kind of tailored to what your end product is. You know, we, we have control surveys where we're going to be out um, setting control for, you know, future projects for roadway monumentation. That's going to be super, super tight. You know, it may be that it's control points that we permanently affix in the ground that are going to be referenced for everybody in the vicinity. You know, maybe a subdivision puts in their own control coordinates and the, the whole subdivision is then based off of those points. Um, we do topographic surveys, which is we m map the physical and three dimensions of the Earth's surface. So a topo survey is kind of what you see, what generates the contours. Um, you know, we locate storm drainage, and we're looking for pipe inverts. We're looking but for... That's more for erosion control purposes, right? So, so topographic surveys are... Um, you would use a topographic survey in an erosion control design, right. uh, but you would also need a topographic survey if you were a developer or civil engineer coming mm -hmm. to develop a property. Right. We're going to be we're going to need a, that information in order to make sure all of your ADA accesses work, all your road grades work. We're going to then compute our volumes against that known surface to Talk see about if water basically right to see if our site balances, right. if we got to bring in dirt, or where we're going to put our stormwater control measures or ponds or yeah so generally topographic surveys are going to be geared more directly at land development but you're also going to have your boundary surveys as part of that land development because you're going to have to know i can't go beyond the property line with my grading um, you know we do uh, as a part of boundaries you know we do traditional retracements or resurveys of land we do subdivisions. We do major, what, what, what would be called in the different county jurisdictions. You mentioned the zoning ordinances and stuff earlier. You know, they also have subdivision regulations. Right. In addition to the zoning, which is going to dictate the number of lots we can do, how big they can be, how much impervious we can put on those lots. And generally, most counties have a major and a minor subdivision process. A major subdivision is going to be your typical, you know, 40, 50, 100 lot subdivision. You're going to have roads and sidewalks and water, sewer. Your minor subdivisions would be, you know, somebody owns 20 acres of land and they want to sell an acre to somebody else. Right. You know, we can go in and just cut that one acre out as a minor subdivision. And the, the actual review process is very sh lot more abridged. The fees are less. And so there's a lot less that comes along with that. You know, we have uh, Alta NS recently changed to Alta NSPS. These are kind of geared more towards your commercial lenders, people getting high profile title insurance, stuff like that. Your banks are going to want to see Alta's. Your, you know, we have uh, hydrographic surveys where we surveyed underwater, hmm. um, mapping the contours of, you know, perhaps a pond. Right. Um, just a quick example, we did a high hazard dam analysis. And so you may need to understand what the pond looks like under the water surface, yeah. a pond or a lake, right. in order to map the inundation if that dam were to fail. So North Carolina has a dam safety program. And so, you know, there's there's a big mix, obviously, of civil engineering and land surveying as they go together. Sure. One, one is, you know, depends on the other for data and information. We have route surveys. Um, route surveys are typically um, a route, a straight line or more type of corridor. Um, NCDOT does a lot of route surveys. Obviously, the road is, is fairly confined to a narrow corridor. Duke Energy does that type of stuff. Construction surveys um, or post-construction as-built surveys. We do construction staking. Once, once your building or site has been designed, we need to make sure that the grading contractors are going to be able to 
make what they build match the plans. Right. And so we'll go out and do staking and as builts to make sure our ADA routes and, then you're and stuff there throughout are the process verifying and checking. That's right. And that's right. Evaluating yeah. and refining. And the first one blamed when something goes of wrong. <laughs> Got to blame somebody. Uh, you know, there's. I usually blame Teresa. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Teresa. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and there's mine and remote sensing, and uh, remote sensing has more to do with drone technology and being remote and collecting data. Um, so it, the type of survey that you're going to need is going to depend on what you need it for. Uh, but talking to your land surveyor or your lender or your developer or whoever, um, you know, that they easily identify that and get you steered in the right direction. And, of course, your costs, and we don't want to get into specific numbers, but your costs would be, it's all based on time. That's right. Your, your industry is based on time. How many hours is it going to take me to accomplish the goal? That's right. So we, we estimate how many hours we think a project's going to cost, and most of that's based on um, historical experience of us taking similar complicated or sized projects and estimating that number of time. Unfortunately, everybody thinks it should be cheaper, and we always think it should be more expensive. So. Well, that sounds like a compromise. Yeah, that's, not, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how business goes. Exactly. And if you've, if you've actually surveyed an adjoining property in a, la you know, a period of time, you know, there's some, there's some data there that, that you have, record data, field data. That's it right. It saves you some time, too. That, that'll give you a head start. We, right. use, uh, we use survey-grade GPS, um, and that, that helps in the retracement process. You always like to have a survey that's been done on GPS, even though the coordinates, they update the reference systems about every couple of years, so the actual number value assigned to the coordinates doesn't necessarily hold a lot of weight in the boundary, um, but it helps us find the corners that much easier. Um, you know, and we, it takes a lot of research. Folks don't understand that, that surveying is not just me standing out there in your yard on the machine. Well, that's probably the least amount of time in the whole process is it, physically it's, out. It's on about 50 50, to be honest or with you. Or 60 40. Or yeah, it, and it depends on the project, right. it depends on the complexity. You know, uh, um, a one-acre lot that was recently subdivided is not going to take the same amount of research as the 100-acre parcel up in the mountains who's been passing down the same description for the past 150 years. And, you know, in 1900, they called for a oak stump. Well, that oak stump's long gone. That's right. That's, unfortunately, that's something or that we... Or a pile of rocks next to the stream. But you, sometimes you can My get lucky. My pile of rocks is still there. You can get lucky still. I mean, we still <laughs> find old stones. Um Matter, I, I mean, so. some old stones. You'd be or, shocked. Or the sycamore that, uh, you know, the survey was 60 years ago. and You go out there and you find the sycamore, but it looks like it's 20 years old. So now you do a boring and count the rings and you find out it's 70 years old. <laughs> That's, yes. You could do that if you had to. We hope it don't come down to that. I understand. You hope that the location checks with the distances and the angles of some known stuff. And then the old neighbor that hated you uh, said uh, 12 o'clock one night went out and moved the stake 10 feet. Yeah, so... So if you catch your neighbor moving your stake, everybody hears that messing with property corners is against the law. Well, matter of fact, it is. And anybody that wants to know, we can point you to the exact North Carolina general statute that says it is against so don't mess the law. With the state of North Carolina moved my stakes. Well. Stake, when they were out there working on the road, they pulled up my stakes and threw them away. And I was so mad, and we tried to get something done. And we called and called and called, and nothing was ever done. Well, uh, even if your stake is moved, that doesn't necessarily change the boundary line, especially if you've got a good, tight survey that's been updated. Um, I'll tell you that if we're looking for a 100-year-old iron pipe, while it still may be there, if it checks within a couple of feet, it's going to be very hard for us to say that it's wrong. You know, I found uh, had a 500-acre track up, well, I don't know what it was, up in... Uh, outside of Stewart, Virginia, it was assemblage over 30 years of five tracks. And the last acquisition had a good survey on it, there's no question about it. Um, the other three of the four, five surveys uh, had good deed description. I always have my surveyor like you run them and see if they close. That's the biggest thing. If they don't close, you figure out there might be a problem. But they did, and when it felt like it, it followed the deed description. It fit the, uh, it fit the tax map, which is the least accurate of all. <clears throat> but the last one, nobody knows what it is. And uh, we got in a position where we decided to auction it. And the auctioneer, I'd already done the title work. And the auctioneer said, let's go uh, double check the title work, you know, because I've got my name on this now, which was fine. I appreciated that. 
go up to Patrick County is where it was, to the uh, Register of Deeds. And of course, we start with the deed of the last uh, uh, recordation. And that refers to a deed, and that refers to a deed, and that refers to a deed, and that refers to a deed. And now we're back into the uh, late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, and we finally get a description, which is in this beautiful hand calligraphed uh, narrative. And sitting there looking at it, but it didn't have the acreage on it. And it had all the other stuff, but it had 282 feet DBH, the acronym DBH. Have you ever seen that on a survey? That's diameter, breast height. Nope, that's for timber. That's right. Well, that's only that's DBH. That's only DBH I've heard. So we kept seeing it two or three places in the description. So we called the clerk over, and she, I said, Madam Clerk, I said, you know, we're looking here, and we're trying to figure out this thing. And what does this acronym DBH stand for? And she looked at both of us and said, you won't believe this. She was, we had a surveyor back in the late 1800s and early 1900s up here in Patrick County. And we see this on some of his uh, work, uh, especially on the descriptions. And, uh, and I said, well, what does it mean? She said, well, stand still. It means distance by hollering. <laughs> wow. So we still, don't know method, what the, we still don't know where the is. <laughs> you know, we, we don't use that method. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Mm. <laughs> Unless it's a cheap survey, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, even then, my goodness. Depends on how loud you are. True story. You know, so, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting you're talking about doing that research and stuff. And so that, that type of research goes into every property that we survey. Yeah, it has and, to. Right. And we're, we're researching not only our, our subject track, but also we typically run all of the neighboring tract as well. Well, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You've got to fit it that is. piece. It is. All the puzzle pieces are written in words, and you have to convert those words into a piece, and then you have to assemble those pieces together. Because it had been that many years ago that they actually, surveyors would have, or people would have their survey recorded, which I kind of, uh, I don't require it, but I totally encourage it, because now it's a permanent record. Surveyors die, unfortunately, we all do. And what happened to it? And the owners don't have it. And the only thing you got left is what's recorded at the courthouse, which is, like you said, is a narrative. That's right. Uh, you get lucky. A couple of the retired guys, you know, we kind of know locally anyway. We know they've been they've been good to pass on Ralph some of their Marsh. maps. Um, another one of the guys, I actually inherited his records from him. I went and actually bought all of his records because they, he'd done a lot of work in the county, and sure. they were valuable. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that, that research, I mean, not only do we, we want, I mean, recorded maps are great, and we still record maps. Matter of fact, with minor subdivisions and major mm -hmm. subdivisions, we're required to record them all. Um, and we occasionally will record non-subdivision retracements um, if, there, if, if there is value in doing so. Um, but an updated legal description, while is not as good as having a map recorded, is still going to get you. The, well, you may the, have an all recorded subdivision plat. It was done back in the 70s. Over that period of time, a couple of neighbors, there was a vacant lot, maybe not suitable for building, that was included in that survey that now they split in half. And that, you know, is not reflected on that recorded 1970s That's plat. That's right. I have a question. Uh-oh. Okay. I know. I, I get one every now and then. Yes, you do. Okay. Lou said a minute ago that the county mapping is the least... It, it's it's not accurate. It's the least accurate of all. It's a pretty picture. So, do they it's not like use value. the recorded stuff that you guys bring to them for mapping? I don't understand that. So yes and no. Yes, they update it when available, but when you're getting large transfers passed down like through this the family, time with this economy right now, there's tons of transfers, and people don't want to pay to have their land surveyed, which. If you're buying land on acreage, I can't believe people wouldn't have it surveyed. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, especially old, if it still calls for a tree and you don't know that tree's there, your, I mean, your acreage are probably going to well, be off. Our policy is you make a per acre price on the property subject to new survey to be adjusted. Yep. That way the seller is selling every inch they're selling and the buyer is buying every inch. That's, yep. the, that's the only way you can do it. That, that's the best or, way to do that's it. That's the only way we write contracts in that scenario. And so the tax maps are, are updated as new information becomes available. Um, but when you have old descriptions that don't close or something like that, the tax mapping is just doing the best job they can to make, to make a 
tax map to, to give them a taxable acreage. And and it's divided by extreme course, and they're sitting there kind of drawing yep. with a with a mouse, and it you know so the stream course doesn't match up with the tax map. Uh, there's all kinds of things, and then you got fencing. People think the fencing is the property line. Yep. You got timber that was cut 30 years ago versus adjoining property that was cut 60 years ago. So you kind of got an idea, you know, it's visually it's, out it's there. It's roughly. Yeah, roughly. Until you physically get out there and, That's right. and dig through it. Where that iron on the ground is controls the boundary. Our guest today is Corey George. This is Let's Talk Land. Our sponsor is LandHub.com. Corey, tell me just a little more about the research part that you were talking about. That's right. So, so as I was saying, we are taking those deeds and, and turning them into puzzle pieces and assembling those puzzle pieces. And so... Even though uh, you know, even though I'm not standing out in your yard locating your corners, that doesn't mean I'm not necessarily working on your survey. And so, we like to tie in some of the neighboring property corners as we go because it gives us a double check. And so, throughout the records research, as we're assembling the puzzle pieces, you can tell if something you can kind of tell areas that you need to pay extra close attention to. You may be able to find some overlaps or gaps um, in adjoining properties doing that records research. And so, we may we may uh, take a step over on the neighbor's property to tie some of their corners to make sure everything jives, make sure everything makes sense. Um, because this is all done with reference points, done points. That's right. So we're we're traversing on on our on these. We we typically use a nail or something, and not necessarily on the property line. So, so if you're out walking and you see a, a a nail in the ground with a flag around it, that's not a corner. That's not a that's property a corner. Point. That's a traverse point. That's right. That's what we carry our control through. In the old days, they used to run the lines, but nowadays. Uh, it, it makes it faster not to run the lines, but we also don't have to, you know, some, there's, there's times where you can't occupy the lines right. if there's fences or the property corners right beside a building or something like a downtown area. So, uh, you know, once we've done our research and we get down on, there, on the ground, you know, what we'll, we'll collect all that information and then we'll, we'll, apply, we'll make the puzzle pieces try to make sense with what we found on the ground. You know, generally speaking, most of the time everything's normal, but it's that... 15% of the time where you really scratch your head on just what in the world happened here. So sometimes you have to go back to the drawing board, do more research, see if there's transfers that you didn't find. You can do, um, you know, back research, but you also may have to do a forward title search and see if there's things sold out that wouldn't necessarily appear in the chain of title. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we lean on real estate attorneys for really complicated things or some, some something that we know a neighbor's going to be mad over. You know, it's just, just let's just engage FYI, the title attorney. Yeah. That's right. Let's just, we're going to cross our T's and dot our I's before we go jump off the diving board. So, you know, in, in finding corners and things that don't make sense, you know, as a surveyor, we have kind of rules of reconstruction. And so there are things that hold more weight than other things. Okay. And so, you know, typically the control of conflicting elements goes something like this. Whoever has the right of possession, whoever has senior rights, so whoever's deed was sold out first makes them senior. Um, and so the senior deed, it gets everything they're entitled to, the junior in essence, gets what's left. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? But that's the gist of it. Okay. If there's a call for a survey or a monument, so if my survey, if your deed calls for a five-eighths five inch capped rebar, and I go find a five-eighths inch capped rebar, but for some reason I find a one-inch pipe next to it, well, that five-eighths inch rebar with a calf is called for, so that's going to be what we hold as the corner. Okay. Then you have uh, natural monuments and artificial monuments. So a natural monument would be to the big rock or to the center of the creek, right? And so a lot of people don't like the center of the creek as the boundary. Personally, I like the I center too. of the creek because it's easily identifiable. Well, Anybody unless, can walk out. the water out. course changes, uh, uh, that's another situation. Over well, it is. If the water course changes naturally, right. the boundary goes with the water course. Right. If it and changes artificially, that's a North not Carolina necessarily. Not national. That's right. 
Is it navigable or is it non-navigable? I mean, there's lots of things to talk about water boundaries and riparian rights. Calls for adjoiners, uh, they're typically at the bottom of the list. Distance and directions depends on what you're doing. It could depend on who the old surveyor was, if they were known to be really good on distance and not so great on angles, or if their angles have been historically good and their distances have not been. I know there's some guys locally here in the county who did a bunch of work from the mid-60s through the early 90s, their distances are always long. They're always long. Their acreages are always more. And I think it has to do with slope distance. I don't think they were getting the conversions correct to yeah. horizontal. Because, because at one time it was pulled up the hill, down the hill. That's right. And now everything's treated as a flat plain. Should have been treated as a flat plain then, but they had to physically pull That's the chain point. up the side of the hill, <coughs> so, and then they so have to the correct older it. the survey... When you're buying land, or even if you're selling it, to be accurate, that's why you want to get a person like Corey, uh, George, uh, at uh, <clears throat> to uh, give you an updated survey. That's right. That's, we always advise that. And so, you know, and towards the bottom is area and coordinates. And, and a lot of people get hung up on area and say, oh, well, you know, my survey from 1900 said I had 10 and a half acres. I got 10 and a half acres of land. Right. Well, one their distances and angles were they're not going to be the same as they are now they might be close but they're not going to be exactly the same the, historically the area calculation was one of the more complicated calculations that they had to do and they did it you know generally with double meridian distance which i don't know anybody that does anymore we use right. coordinate geometry to do it which is really really accurate so you know if your acreage comes out less well you know sorry it's just a product of better technology i mean it's, and so well, and it can come out more as well it can come out more um it's just you know as a surveyor acreage to me you know if you say you have 10 and a half acres and it comes out 10.4 well yeah i mean it's okay this that's the same but you know, a lot of people get hung up on that and oh, absolutely. and we have a hard time you know explaining that a little bit yeah i bought a 200 acre tract that had a 1937 survey on it and when they completed the survey i had two more acres yeah I mean that's that's common. I mean, yeah. as old surveys in the mountains that is common. That's you know you got to be real. You got to be realistic when you're out there hunting for something that's a hundred years old. And then last is the coordinates, and you know unfortunately, the coordinates change. Um, and coordinates change by way of new technology. There's better ways to measure things. You know, in 1983 they came out with the that was the biggest really horizontal readjustment since you know, uh, the datum from the 20s. Was that nationwide, Corey? That was, na that was a nationwide datum shift. Um, but as it relates to coordinates, coincidentally, the country uses feet for measurement. Right. But what is a foot? I got one right here. And, and how is that foot <laughs> defined, especially as it relates to coordinates? Because most of our GPS stuff is done in metric and then converted back. Right. So in North Carolina, we use what's called the U.S. survey foot, okay? But our neighbors to the south use the international foot, right, that's okay? Right. So that's all great and all, and you don't really see a difference until you get to the fifth decimal place when you're converting from meters to feet. But when you're dealing coordinates where you have millions of feet, the fifth decimal place will make you off two or three feet, and you never know it. Right. And so that's actually cost people a lot of money. Um, you get people that design or people from out of state or don't know don't know the conversions or how to set it up correctly um, and they go out there and they put that building based on coordinates and it's two feet in the wrong spot so the GPS technologies came a long way and uh, in 2022 we're supposed to get a new datum readjustment um, and we believe that they're going to start phasing out the U.S. survey foot, um, and the international foot will become the standard as defined by the meter. So that I th we believe that's coming. Um, Is that really a problem, though? Out of the last 50 surveys, just for example, you've done, has that been an issue? No, it never came up. See. Um, but it, it but does. Where would you see it typically? It, you would see, we've seen it a lot in in development and land development okay. and, and developing um, I did a, bit, a bunch of work in the triangle in the Raleigh Durham area right. and architects who set up CAD programs it always defaults to international feet gotcha. so when they're laying things out 
they want things to look a certain way or your CAD programs default to international feet. So if you don't know how to go in and set up your CAD programs and you're starting to stake stuff based on coordinates, you know, in the construction industry, I, I think is really where the problem is. And I mean, obviously in the surveying industry, it can pose a problem, but in North Carolina, everybody knows that we use U.S. survey well, I just didn't want to alert the typical person that there's a problem out there surveying. Yeah. Typically, yeah. nobody's ever going to know about that. The guy. Um, I just want to clean that up. That's right. So typically, nobody's ever going to know about that. Um, you know, one thing that uh, that I, I think I'd like to touch on is is a little bit of adverse possession, um, and because there's some common mis- there's some common misconceptions about it, and I've even had some of my friends say, "Oh well, Corey, I mow my I know I mow part of my neighbor's yard." I know I could take him to court for it and get it. And it's like, nah, no, you can't. Step That's back and say what uh, adverse possession is. So adverse possession is 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 adversely possessing someone else's property and then being able to legally claim it. Prove it. And typically would involve lots of attorneys and some version of court um, to settle it. You know, you hate to see you you hate to see adverse possession. Um, sometimes people think that the fence line is the property line. The fence line doesn't always it doesn't necessarily represent. It may be what's claimed or pos- limits of possession, but it doesn't necessarily impact the actual property line. Is there a time in terms of what could be considered an adverse? Is it like twenty years, thirty years? Yeah. So so to even qualify for adverse possession, you have to have a couple of things. And you have to be adversely using somebody's property without permission. So if you have permission, then you're not adversely possessing it, right? Unless you have a generation change or a title change. Because they've got a new owner or somebody says, well, I know my grandfather let me use this road, but he's dead. Perhaps, that's right. Um, You have to be openly using and possessing this property. I've heard 20 years in North Carolina. Um, on easements specifically. Yeah, so, so 20 years, you're you're probably thinking more of like a prescriptive type easement. I am. Which is very similar to adverse possession, but you're not going to take title away from somebody. Whereas an easement, you're going to, you know, complete your, you're going to have access in perpetuity, but the underlying land is going to remain someone else's. Corey, I've got this class coming up on June 4th. It's a virtual class. And you can go to my website, the master website, and look under land classes, and it has all the information. But part of my four-hour dissertation is on easements. And I talk about the 11 types of easements, the good one and the bad one. Easements uh, are tricky. Yeah. This, is there more than 11? Have I missed something? <laughs> there, there probably is. I, I'm not aware of any more. Actually, my, my dissertation actually came from a seminar that was done by the North Carolina Board of attorneys uh, for CE class, and the whole subject for that class uh, was easements. So that's where I pulled that uh, information from. I understand. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And that's what the, Teresa, I mean, we, in my 30 years of experience, easements has been, that has been the biggest thing uh, to explain, especially when you're dividing property or it's old, old, you know, where the family, uh, we had a triple murder uh, years ago in Stokes County. Uh, where two brothers had inherited the family farm, and they, they hated each other from the time they came out of the womb. I mean, literally. Uh, I mean, killing hate. And um, and the uh, one of the heirs had obtained that old farmhouse in the back of the property. It was a rectangle property, and the other brother had the road frontage. Well, the driveway always went back to the house, but whomever the attorney was that transferred uh, through the uh, will, uh, uh, the deed, never put an easement into the back property. It was assumed because it was family property. Well, the one in the back side, they want to sell it. And the one in the front says, uh, you ain't got a way into it. You're landlocked, and I ain't signing nothing. And there was an agent that got involved that had it listed and had a buyer for it and, and uh, called the guy at the wrong time, the one in the front, and he was uh, on something, you know, uh, some type of pollution or something, and, and got in his car and went over to his other brothers, and his, Sister-in-law came out and he shot her. His brother shot him, and he shot his brother over an easement. Mm. All three died. Mm. So uh, it's matters of consequence. And property lines will get 
people it's fired up. up. Yeah. You'll get some neighbors fired up. We we, we encounter some neighbors that get you. fired up. You're out there surveying that land, and you're going to take it. No, sir. No, ma'am. We're just, I'm out here to find the corners wherever they may be, and then we will go from there. Right. I'm not making any decisions, and I also want to disclaim that I am no real estate attorney, so if you think you have problems with adverse possession, call sure. your local real estate attorney. Just land like land, too. This is by North Carolina, there was some tort that was put on years ago. There's really no such thing as land like land in the state of North Carolina. It can all be attested, right? Uh, I, so from my understanding, if you bought some landlocked property that didn't have an easement, you're going to be able to get an easement to it. It would just have to be dictated by the court. And sometimes uh, you have agricultural easements that are temporary <clears throat> on landlocked property. A person has a right to harvest their crops or their timber especially. And, of course, the adjoining neighbors say, you're not coming through my property. And that's something that a judge and jurisprudence can uh, say, look, yes, they will. And, of course, they will. You, they can pay you this amount or they can reclaim. Or That's right. Okay? So uh, there are situations uh, where... Uh, the court will stand up for access. Yeah, and most people, most people are good people. Most most sure. of the time, we don't have a bit of trouble. But occasion, occasionally, occasionally, you're not to step a foot on my property. Right. And so, in North Carolina, we don't have rights of trespass. That's right. And so that means if the neighbor tells us we can't get on their property, we can't get on their property. Sure. In Tennessee, for example, they do have rights. Surveyors have rights of trespass, and so you can't. You know, you're not. I mean, they have to meet certain requirements in order to enforce that, but. You know, if we deem it necessary to cross your property, then uh, so be it. So a lot of people have questions about uh, the, the latest GPS technology. Yeah, I'd like to know. And uh, <clears throat> GPS has came a long way, and uh, surveyors are big proponents of GPS technology, survey-grade GPS technology specifically. And we use it in the sense of art, what's called RTK, or real-time kinematic which allows us to obtain instantaneous corrections from, you know, some known ground coordinates. North Carolina has a pretty good system called the NC Coors Network, which is continuously operating reference systems. So basically each county seat operates a known control point. And, and then you we, can tap into that. And so we use cell service and uh, a login. We pay for logins, and we tap into that to get instantaneous correction broadcast via cell service to our receivers. So at any given moment we're allowed to obtain you know exact precise but that comes directly to your equipment right that comes directly to my equipment my data collector via a cell service i use a, like a little a jet pack or something what if you're not getting cell service well uh, there's ways to obtain <laughs> uh good data but you generally have to post process it so you do a static survey collection on a on a point and then go back you'd post process it later for the actual northing easting and elevation or have to do that much? Uh, you know, I haven't had to do it much. You know, 10 years ago, we did a lot of static and rapid static data collection. Um, cell service has gotten really good. 4G's has gotten really good. Oh. So, and, and, you know, 5G obviously coming out. Um, so you don't have to do a whole lot of post-processing anymore. I'll tell you that some of the latest GPS technology, which I'm currently demoing, um, is... Uh, observes a lot more satellite constellations than what our operating systems observe. Okay. So the North Carolina Coors Network, we use what's called VRS, which is Virtual Reference Station. And so we are limited based on not only our what our equipment can see as far as like American um, satellites, what, which is GPS or like Galileo or some of the European satellite right. constellations um, or the Russian GLONASS. You know, we're limited based on what our base stations are observing. And so the, the latest technology can see everything. Hmm. All of the European, the Russian, the Chinese constellations, Americans on, Japanese, the yeah. on the different frequencies, L1, L2, L5 frequencies. So there's where previously we may only have 12 to 15 satellites in the sky. Okay. You can have 30 now. Well. And so that's going to substantially increase our accuracy and our ability to use that to come? that's now that's here now. Okay. that's here now and the latest technology has only been really on the market for about eight months um and so you know we're it's a surveying industry everybody's holding their breath hoping for some game-changing technology because um, 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, the survey GPS surveying is not going to work in the woods because the canopy. canopy and foliage block clear views of the sky. Whereas now, if you have more constellations, you don't need as much opening to the Does sky. Does humidity have anything to do with that? So in GPS corrections, um, which is a lot, uh, mostly automated now, um, there are all kinds of atmospheric variables. I don't think humidity would necessarily play a role in that. Solar flares are, are could, could can have the potential to be catastrophic. Um, in the 90s, for example, we used to have what was called selective something. Um, but it allowed the U.S. government to scramble the GPS frequencies. So if you were surveying within a certain period of time right. and the government didn't tell you, and they scrambled the frequencies for some sort of um, mission, uh, your, all of the surveying you did was garbage. Oh you get to redo all of it. So interesting. we got some really good technology on the, on the horizon. And you're um, right there with it. Hey, guys, you want to, uh, if you need a survey in one of these states we talked about, uh, pilot surveying and engineering websites, uh, www.pilotse for surveying and engineering.com. That's right. And Corey and, and your staff, how many people work with you? So right now we have uh, three full-time um, folks surveying, and then uh, I have some some. Some folks I lean on, some other engineers that I lean on for for engineering support as uh, as it presents itself. So, so you're not just out doing what Teresa and I sell, landed farms. You're doing some uh, engineered projects too. That's right. We're after all of it. That's right. Well, hopefully after this show, your phone will be blaring out there. I'm sure it's already blaring. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, what else do we need to know about survey? What what um, Teresa? We're trying to educate her over here. Give her something she doesn't know. So, um, most people don't know that uh, I sit on the North Carolina A&T University Geomatics Program Board, and I'm a big proponent of bringing people to the surveying profession. Uh, I would say that general, generally speaking, and this is no slight on the, the generation, but a lot of our surveyors are getting a little older. Oh, how about that? And... Uh, <coughs> We need some some young people to replace them, and so I'm I'm always after bringing kids and the kids out of high school or anybody thinking about a career change. You know, if you want some job security, you know, we don't have enough land surveyors. Not a bad living either. Hey, they're going to get into geometry, trigonometry, regression, analysis, physics, engineering, meteorology, programming, languages, and the law, and then they get to play with equipment like you were talking about. Uh, the scanners and the new technologies. That's so, right. Drones. They have an excellent course over there. So That's if right. math is not their thing, this will not be their thing? Is that correct or not correct? Yeah. Generally, you have to be pretty good at math. Um, I, I actually showed you my guys. You person? Uh, you have to study some calculus. Uh, with my engineering background, I took a lot of calculus and physics. Got, got uh, a few angles there. Huh? Yeah. Um, I actually showed my guys how to use some trigonometry in the field measuring the height of a tower using only angles. Interesting. And not the angles that's on the tower. That's right. <laughs> There's plenty of them. Yeah. So. so what makes you get up in the morning, Corey? I enjoy being outside. Yeah. I like uh, I like roaming around in the woods, especially not. Hell of an office, right? Yeah. Um, enjoy walking around. We've seen some very beautiful places out land surveying, some some places that most people don't get the opportunity to see, uh, some great mountain vistas, good views of Pilot Mountain that you don't get to see, some beautiful streams and waterfalls, mountain streams, little babbling brooks and stuff, and yeah. just some really beautiful places to kind of help put it in perspective. And a few critters too, right? Yeah, seen lots of critters. <laughs> Shout loves that. <coughs> Shout is actually certified to survey. Uh, she's done quite a few. Yeah, nice dogs are great to see out. The not-so-nice dogs make you want to sit in you the truck. For years, I used to help <laughs> one of our surveyors because I did land developing, and I was the dumb end of the stick because you used to have to bunny hop where you set up the transit, and then you'd have to hold a control point, set a nail, and then you'd have to go back to where the transit was. The transit would go, and you back and forth and back and forth. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of acres I've been involved in in surveying, and I really loved it. I mean, I can't do the math and do the 
equipment stuff, but just being out in the field and chopping lines and nature and Shadow right there with me. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, part of the real estate world that I live in. Yeah, and uh, it's been good to get back. Um, we 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 lived here. We we're from here. We moved away for ten or so years. To come back. I wonder where you went. We went to Raleigh. We lived in North Wilkesburg for a little while. We lived in Raleigh for several years, right. which, as NC State graduate, Raleigh's sure. like a second home. Absolutely. Um, then we Great lived school. in, messed up and moved to South Charlotte, and that right. that we're made us that made us realize <laughs> that we were not <laughs> South Charlotte people. Yeah. <laughs> So came back, started this business, looking to make an impact in the community and and uh, enjoy helping people. You know, I, 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 you know, if somebody needs help, um, you know, we want we want to help you. That's We're what we want to do. Professional problem solvers, aren't we? That's right. That's what I tell my students. Teresa, you got one hard question left. Come on, I know you got something stuck down there. No, I, I don't actually. What have you learned I think. <laughs> well, I personally didn't know that there were so many different types of surveys. And it's it's made me have a better understanding of that, and the easements. That was pretty interesting, and I mean, it, it, it was this was a good show. A lot of good stuff on it. Yeah, we're gonna have him back because he's got some other uh, uh, bits of knowledge that we'd like to share with our listening audience. And so let's let's talk land show. Yeah, I, I feel like I can help intertwine your understanding of the engineering industry the land surveying industry and even some of the construction industry e even though I, I have a, um, a general contractor's license in commercial construction commercial building construction don't typically practice that I typically stay in my lane of civil engineering and surveying but it gives me a vantage point Absolutely. while I'm out on the ground and identifying things and maybe areas of problems that you may not even well, have realized. Well, other surveys don't have the experience, right? That's right. Yeah, and that's fair. That's a fair statement. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got some really nice credentials. Actually, the best credentials I've seen. For the there. kids well, that you. are interested in this, I, I, the school, I'm sure, it's a bachelor's degree, probably a minimum. Yeah, that's right. We, so f so to get to become a surveyor, real quickly, um, if you get this bachelor's degree in geomatics, it's going to allow you to get your land surveying license. With two years of experience, too. so you'll, that's an apprenticeship, right? That's an apprenticeship. This is very similar to engineering. Right. You have to take two eight-hour-long exams. One's a fundamentals exam. One's a principles and practice exam. That principles and practice consists of pretty much three quarters of it as a national. You're going to cover meets and bounds states. You're going to cover cover public land states, but you're also then going to cover state-specific guidelines such as the state laws and drainage and whatnot. And so, if you get an associate's degree from a, a community college, then you have to have several more like eight years of experience if you get it wow. on the, if you do have no if you have no formal education it takes like 16 years of, to wow. get to even qualify for the exams and then you still have to pass the exams so they got to be young well let's get in touch with Corey. how do they get in touch with Corey? so you guys you can find me uh, on my website www.pilotse.com we're pilot surveying and engineering um you're welcome. You can email me at Corey at pilotse.com um, and then all my other contact information is available on the website as well been a great guest today. Uh, All right, really thanks for having me. I really yeah. enjoyed this. Stay with us. Teresa, here we go. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we'd appreciate them. All questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source of land education. After this morning's show, all of our shows are downloaded on our master website, www.letstalkland.com. Dot net, that's dot net. Also, you'll find us on Spotify and Podbeam, so tune into those. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you? They can call me at 336-209-2937 or email me at teresa.mylandpro at gmail.com. Okay. And my email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. My cell phone number is 336-669-1405. We'd like to thank our sponsor, landhub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at landhub.com, my favorite site. Rodney, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they can go to our website. Go to WKTE1090.com, and also they can download the simple radio app and hear us anywhere in the world. Is it really that simple? It is really simple. You just uh, what, go to the app and put go in simple app? app yeah, it's simple radio app. Radio app. WKTE. Yeah. WK, you don't have to put the 1090 in. No, it pops right up. And you can listen to this show. Live, Live on Saturday mornings, like this morning from 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday. That's right. This is podcast number 147, so there's a 
147s of uh, land education out there for you. That's it. And we're still growing. Uh, tell us about the station. Oh, yeah. We play only what, Teresa? Happy music. That's happy right. music. So you want to feel happy? happy. Wow. You happy for it? I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. We made another happy <clears throat> <loser. That's right. clears throat> We have a little contest going. Yeah, we do. There, you'll be giving away $500 for the best design, a happy design on our Wave logo. So what do they do? They just go to our website or go to our Facebook page, and they'll email it to us at uh, wkthewave at yahoo.com. So they take the Happy Wave logo. Yes. I mean, they take the Wave logo, yes. and they make it happy in some visual way. That's right, yes. Surfer, sunshine, a uh, little doggy face. Land surveyors. That's exactly yeah, what I was thinking. Land surveyor, <laughs> eagle. Yeah, eagle. Yeah, yeah. war. Yeah. Okay. to go in that wave there. And that runs, we'll uh, announce the winner, the $500 winner. What, uh, That's right, uh, July 1st. July 1st. And then we'll use that logo, yeah. and we're going to be the happy radio station on the East Coast. That's right. All right. And we've won some awards. Yeah, five years in a row being the top beach and oldies radio station on the East Coast. And you won a nice award. Yeah, the Reader's Choice Announcer of the Year Award. Announcer of the Year Award. And you're next, I guess, this year. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, see you next week.